Welcome to Files on Air, an Air AA podcast series where contributors from AA Files read their work. AA Files is the Architectural Association's Journal of Record and promotes original and engaging writing on architecture and its related fields. In this episode, David Burns, a writer and academic who leads the Media Studies program at the Royal College of Art, travels to Maralinga in South Australia, where the British conducted secret nuclear testing in the 1950s and 60s. The text and the photo essay that accompanies it can be found in AA Files 78. Roads to Maralinga. I would like to acknowledge the Maralinga Jerija people who are the traditional custodians of the land concerned in this research, and I would like to pay my respects to elders past and present. Between the small coastal town of Seduna and our destination Maralinga, the roads don't have signs and some don't appear to have official names. There are only a few places to stop, including a roadhouse or two and an Aboriginal community called Scottesco that draws in tourists with a big thing, a wombat. Our directions instruct us to call from Nundru, the last chance to use a mobile phone until the Trans-Australian Railway. Nundru is a couple of semi-connected buildings with a roadhouse, a shuttered bar, and a few rooms for hire. We call Robin, Marilinga's current caretaker, and he sounds exactly like I imagined. A deep Australian drawl, gruff and friendly. He says we're close and you'll see us in a few hours. We're driving on the air highway that originated in the 1870s as a byproduct of the East-West Telegraph and informally connected the populous East with the mineral-rich West. We're on the eastern edge of 180,000 square kilometers of exposed limestone, an ancient Cretaceous period seabed that the indigenous Anangu called Gindiri, meaning bare like a bone. In 1840, Englishman Edward John Eyre falsely claimed that he was the first man to cross Gindiri, and another white man gave Gindiri a colonial name, Nullabor Plain, Latin for no trees. Eyre's name is now conspicuous across Australia. The Air Highway was considered a marvel in its day, largely because it attempted to tame the Nullarbor, but the road wasn't completed until 1942, and even then, it was little more than a dirt track. Today, the sunburnt and pockmarked bitumen looks tired and overused. Our first direction from Robin is a right turn off the air onto an unmarked road. Checking our maps again and seeing no road where there is now clearly a modern highway, it reminds me that it's still possible to build significant infrastructure in the Australian bush in relative secrecy. The dark, flat bitumen has perfect hard shoulders and brightly painted center lines. Later, I find historic photos that prove that until very recently, it was unpaved red sand. We see a road train a single truck with multiple trailers parked on a purpose-built side road. The driver smiles and waves. He's the last person we'll see for hours. No gray nomads, no cars. Why is this road here? Our answer lies just beyond the horizon to the northeast. This road leads to, and is possibly subsidized by, the Aluka Mine, the world's largest source of zircon. Mining is the foundation of the Australian economy, and every square centimeter of land is at risk of mineral extraction. 
We're just kilometers from the southern border of the vast Womera rocket range, which boasts over 120,000 square kilometers of land excised from the Australian Republic and surrendered to the British in 1947 for weapons testing. In the 1950s and 60s, at the height of the British testing in Australia, we wouldn't be allowed anywhere near this road. The air was a dirt track, the Aluka mine, and all of the other mines were still decades away, and there were certainly no civilians like us freely driving around. At the farthest southwestern point of the enormous range, just a few hundred kilometers from our current location, is Maralinga, the site of seven nuclear detonations and hundreds of highly radioactive minor trials. Despite the Aboriginal name, Maralinga isn't a traditional Aboriginal village or landmark. The British chose Maralinga, claiming it was a local Aboriginal translation, a field of thunder. In reality, Maralinga belongs to an extinct Aboriginal language once spoken by people who lived 2,000 kilometers away in the northernmost tip of Australia. Naming this place Maralinga was the first act of a uniquely nuclear colonial project. In addition to the construction of an entire town, a world-class airfield, and facilities for thousands of soldiers and engineers, Maralinga destroyed countless Aboriginal lives, permanently disrupted indigenous modes of living, and poisoned a sacred land for thousands of years to come. All of this was completed in secret, a place white men chose to believe was an uninhabited terra nullius. The Air Highway was one of the first major settler colonial projects in this region and comprises a large part of Highway 1, which spans the continent east to west. Its north-south corollary is the Stewart Highway, also known as the Track. Highway 1 wasn't fully sealed until the 1970s, and the Stewart Highway wasn't completed until the 1980s. When Maralinga was established in 1953, Robin tells us that the British sealed thousands of kilometers of roads, while nearby towns and villages had no sealed roads at all. Maralinga was not only decades ahead in science, it also possessed some of the most modern civic infrastructure in South Australia. This fact is made even more incredible with the knowledge that this expansive contemporary infrastructure was invisible and unusable to the Australian public. Back on the Aluka Mine Road, the landscape has begun to change, but driving at 130 kilometers per hour on the smooth new road, it's difficult to notice. The next direction on the map notes that we're nearing the end of the bitumen. The next road, despite its red sand, is proudly marked with multiple signs that direct us westward to Maralinga and Oak Valley. Oak Valley is even younger than Maralinga. After decades of court battles, Aboriginal peoples who were violently dislocated by the Woomera rocket range and the nuclear tests at Maralinga and Emu Field forced the South Australian government to acknowledge their native title, the result of which was the landmark 1984 maralinga Jerija Land Rights Act. The funds secured by this act led to the creation of Oak Valley, a place that is mostly off-limits to non-Indigenous visitors. We turn off the Aluka Mine Road, the hot bitumen giving way to soft, shifting sand. We cross a dry riverbed and before us is a straight red line carved into the bush. I think of Lynn Bedell, the Australian surveyor and self-proclaimed bushman, and the casual violence in his description of making roads similar to these. In one of his books, he recalled perching himself in the distance, 
using a pocket mirror to reflect the sun back at his colleague who bulldozed the native scrub. Like Bedell, we carry our colonial privilege conspicuously. He with the British mandate to build his roads anywhere he saw fit, and us in our air-conditioned SUV. How do we visit these lands, embedded with tens of thousands of years of Aboriginal life and culture, now overlaid with infinite radioactive damage and death? How do we confront the colonial gaze that we despise so much, knowing that it's inherent in us? How do we justify the further mediation of these lands? We continue driving, the landscape changing at every rise. The bush, so famed for its relentless monotony, is rich and diverse. Despite this, the colonial presumption of the empty outback is stubborn, and it's easy to feel alone. The flatness of the terrain means that we can see for kilometers, but there's no one to see. We know we're not alone, that this land has been occupied for thousands of years, but we can't shake the feeling. We top the next rise and onto a new terrain. Our phones jump back to life. The railway must be ahead. In 1917, Cellar Australia built the East-West Transcontinental Railway, an achievement few thought possible. Encouraged by the 1901 Australian Federation, the construction of the railway provided a reliable and relatively fast continental journey, previously only possible via the turbulent Australian bite or an almost impossible drive on the unsealed air. The Trans-Australian Railway sparked a Western expansion into the ore-rich lands that are now amongst the wealthiest places on Earth. When nuclear colonial Britain arrived some 50 years later, the railway fueled not only a new, unimaginable expansion of Britain's influence over Australia, but also the further destruction of Aboriginal culture and traditions. Our intersection with the railway is brief. A rusty communication tower rises over the terrain alongside an immaculately maintained set of straight rails. We're near the beginning of the longest continuous stretch of straight track in the world. The 478 kilometer length begins at Oldea, a traditional southern Pichinjara home, and ends in Lugana, Western Australia. The laser straight rail cuts its way through the bush, nothing allowed to divert it, nothing permitted to alter its way. These moments of infrastructural violence are everywhere. Roads carved into the bush, exposing the red earth underneath like a fresh wound. Thousands of kilometers of straight rail, slicing ancient countries in half, truncating and destroying sacred song lines. Basic construction, roads and bridges, railways and utilities, all working in concert to overlay Western systems of quantification on lands that had resisted for so many millennia. After another hour or two in the sand, we mount another bitumen road that's much older than any road we've seen thus far. The edges are worn, falling away. Potholes have eaten deep craters in the surface, and the road is warped from decades of heat and sun. I realize we're on a road that I've studied for years, from above, traced from satellite images and maps and historical documents. This road is British, and likely one of the first. It leads directly to Maralinga. If we had turned south, the road would have taken us to Watson, a now-abandoned railway station and rock quarry that was once the source for much of the raw materials that supplied the construction of the roads we're driving on, the airfield at Maralinga, and eventually the rubble that buried the radioactive waste. We're ascending slowly. The old British road is pulling us up from the ancient seabed of the Nullarbor to the deep sand of the Oldia Range.
Our drive ends with stark warnings of radiation and a chain-link fence. Robin is waiting on the other side. The fence, now just a formality, extends only 20 meters from the gate on either side. The anti-nuclear protests from previous decades are over. No one's trying to break into Marilinga anymore, and the Marilinga Jerija have made it clear that they welcome visitors and the historical weight the site now contains. We stop nonetheless, out of respect for the new, old custodians of this highly mediated land. This is now, as it always was, Marilinga Jerija land. Thanks for listening to this episode. Air AA podcasts are developed, recorded, mixed and edited by the Architectural Association from our home on Bedford Square in central London. To find more episodes, view the show notes and explore other Air AA series, visit air.aaschool.ac.uk.